Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring the films of Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, as recommended by Jerry Smith and Mike Snoonian of The Pod and The Pendulum podcast, and in this week's episode, I'll be talking about their 2014 film, Spring. Um, speaking of spring, it is a, a lovely spring afternoon in uh, New York City house. <laughs> How's everyone doing? How's everyone holding up? Uh, is everyone staying safe and healthy during this still ongoing pandemic, even though many states are foolishly opening up a little bit too quickly? Um, is everyone staying safe if they're going out to protest or, or doing whatever they're doing? I don't know. It, it feels it feels like it's been a while since I've done anything on this podcast, even though objectively I posted the episode with Jerry and Mike just last week. I can't actually remember if I interviewed them that same week or whether it was the week before. I don't know. It just feels like I've 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 taken a long time between the last thing I did for this ep- uh, for this podcast and this thing that I'm doing for the podcast. So I'm a little disoriented, which is strange. Like it felt like when I opened up my notebook uh, today to take notes on spring to record this episode, it felt like it'd been forever since I opened it up to record eight men out. And there was a bit of a break. I know maybe, I don't know, what does time even mean anymore uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic? doesn't mean anything. Um, But I do hope that everyone is still staying safe, um, still healthy still chugging along and being cautious as uh, states and cities and businesses begin to reopen. Um, please continue to wear a face mask, stand at, looks at least six feet away from people. Um, the only way that we are going to conquer this thing entirely is if we all um, stay as proactive as possible with trying to protect ourselves and each other. Speaking of people that need to be protected, spring... whether that be emotionally protected or physically protected, um, this movie was not the film that I thought it would be. And now I've I've talked a lot about um, meeting a film on its own terms in this or on this podcast in the past um, and how you can do a a disservice to the film and the filmmaker if you come at a film with your own expectations or your own wants or desires for a film instead of what a film offers. Having said that, I did not get the film that I expected it to be, but at the same time, I don't know what I expected this film to be. Um, But I do know that what I got, or what it turned out to be, um, was a film that actually spends more time resting with the main character's emotions than I thought there would be. It's a very introspective film, and I'm going to probably be using that word and its derivatives a lot during this episode. So if anyone is day drinking or night drinking, I guess depending on when you listen to this episode, or morning drinking, who am I to judge? We're in a pandemic. Um, If you want to take a shot for every time I say uh, the word introspective or some form of it, um, then by all means, please email me and let me know how that's gone as you're in the hospital. Um, But yeah, this film spent a lot more time 
kind of like meditating with and on our characters than I thought it would be. Like it really, it's not a very long film. It's only an hour and 49 minutes and yet it takes a lot of time to just sit with them and to feel what they're feeling and explore what they're feeling. Um, in addition, it sort of, it takes the supernatural elements and I'm, I'm doing air quotes around supernatural because even the Louise character doesn't consider whatever is happening to her to be supernatural. She is a, a student of science. She said she always has been in her 2,000 years of existence on this planet. Um, there's a biological or physiological explanation for what is happening to her. Um, but it even takes, the film takes those supernatural elements as a, as kind of a given or as a matter of fact, which I think is in tune or in step with Louise's approach as this is a scientifically explainable thing, as though this is not a... A magic power or a gift. This is just a mutation within her as, a, as an individual. And it also sort of makes sense too because she's been living with these conditions or this this condition, whatever it is you want to call it, for you know about 2,000 years. Um, and he's remaking everything in his life. So he, Evan, is, is open to, whether he realizes or not, is open to everything being new and different from what he has experienced or the life that he has lead. So it sort of, or has led, my apologies. So it sort of makes sense that the film's perspective or the approach that it takes is just that these supernatural things just are a part of life, which isn't to say that they're not horrifying, especially when we see them through the perspective of Evan, but um, there is no real ex exploration of external consequences um, for Louise's uh, transformations or condition, which is to say um, most of the horror or the grappling with what Louise is and, and, and what her condition entails is done inside, is, is done interior. Uh, the, the work is done internally for our character. So there's not, a, there's not a really a lot. I mean, we see bloodstains and that sort of things, but even with the American tourist that gets killed and goes missing... Uh, with the bunnies that get eaten, and even with the exception of some blood splatters, like, you know, here and there in, in the city where they are, there's not a lot of focus on what is happening to the community, um, what is happening to the actual city itself. There's not a lot of time spent on dealing with external consequences or external um repercussions of whatever is happening to Louise. Now, of course, we do have the paintings, which um, the paintings and the pictures, which kind of do subtly lay the groundwork for this idea that Louise has been living in this country for thousands of years. Um, but, you know, we don't, we don't really spend any time with a, a character who talks about this monstrous thing which has been haunting this city for generations or myth or legend. And that's what I mean when it says there's not a lot of exploration of external consequences, basically. Every, all, all the grappling with it, all, all the, this, the spheres that are being influenced by what is happening with Louise is all just the two spheres of Evan and Louise. Um, and I, I say that as a, an admirable thing. I, I'm not saying that, that it's to the film's detriment. I like that the film, being an introspective film, how committed it is to that vision and how every element of this film kind of sticks to exploring these characters' internal machinations, their feelings, and even how 
any scenes or any filmic elements, any mise-en-scene, if you want to call it that, which doesn't deal directly with our characters, still points back to them and still points back to what they're going through. Um, but this introspection um, begins with our leads, uh, with Evan and Louise, and, and, and their approaches to the world around them. Um, when you think about who these two characters are, Louise is literally the only one of her kind, as far as we know, in existence. She is it. Um, her family is dead because they died in the um, uh, volcano explosion in Pompeii. Evan is the only really one of his family because his family has passed away. He doesn't really have any external connections besides one friend who is uh, constantly high off his ass. Um, so we have these two characters who their worlds are only about themselves. For Louise, it has always only been about herself for millennia. And for Evan, I don't know if millennia is correctly, if I use that correctly, for centuries, for an epic, um, that's E-P-O-C-H, not E-P-I-C. Um, I don't know, but, but for a very long time, basically, it has only been about her. Um, and that has become necessity for her. And then for Evan, this is a relatively new thing in the sense of, you know, yes, his father had passed away previously, but when we first see him, he's taking care of his dying mother who passes away in that scene. And then that's the only remaining connection he has to that town, to his house, to anything. So they are now characters who are only about themselves, and the film reflects that in their worldview, basically. Um... Both are afraid of letting people in for different reasons. For Evan, um, he is afraid of someone uh, of losing someone. Um, that could be through death, that could be emotional loss, but he is afraid of, of letting people in. You know, we see on the beach scene at night, he is very hesitant to talk about his family with Louise. He's afraid of letting someone in because of the fear of losing that person. Whereas Louise, um, her fear is losing herself. As we find out more about her, and as Evan finds out more uh, about her, um, you know, it, it's interesting to me that she expresses, and when Evan proposes the question of, like, what do you, um, what do you assume kind of, you know, a finite living is like? And she responds, like, terrifying all the time, I have to imagine, or, or something to that effect, but basically just, she is afraid of giving up what she is, and of letting someone in, because she's afraid of her own mortality, of dying, of giving up herself, basically, of how she has defined herself or how she, or how her physiology has defined who and what she is for generations, basically. Um, and the fact that they are so consumed or, or so concerned with only with only themselves, and I don't say this in the sense that they are selfish, I say this in response to, or, or in regards to, this is their response to the trauma in their life, that they are only concerned about themselves, they're only looking at themselves. Um, we see that in every, in every element, um, even down to general dialogue. Um, there's, for most of the film, there's a lot of talk of generalities when it comes to groups of people. Um, there's this idea of women are really into this, or Evan says, men only ever think about this. Or when he gets the job in the little farm and that delightful old dude who runs it um, says, like, Italian women are the best in the world. There's a lot of talk about 
large groups of people and generalizing them in, as, as to what they think, what they feel, how they are. And this makes sense when you have, once again, the perspective of two leads, one of whom um, is just kind of on his own, does not have that um does not have that worldview challenged because he doesn't have anyone who is close to him that is challenging it. And another person who has been living for such a long time that she basically just kind of sees people as objects, as a means of survival. So the fact that they speak in generalities, the fact that they stereotype entire groups of people makes a lot of sense and speaks a lot to their worldview and how they see other people. And so which also makes their eventual romance or then letting in letting each other into their own lives more meaningful and more and more touching. Um, Evan is the one that is quicker to do so. Um, and it's funny because that's to me as a as a man who is watching this film, seeing how this man who was written and directed by two men were what was crafted, I responded a lot to him and I don't mean in the sense of like man I I relate to what he's going through now but I related to how he felt in a certain time and place if that makes sense like the you know he 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 met this girl once and he had a great night with her and you can even tell from his body language by how he speaks to her by his face that he is quickly all about opening up to this woman right away or all about the excitement of this new woman and she is very hesitant and for a little bit there she is kind of a mystery we know a lot about him he's our entryway into this story but we don't know a lot about her and he doesn't know a lot about her but i can relate to when you know years ago when i was in my dating past and i'm sure some people can relate to this as well this idea of a person that wasn't maybe necessarily good or right for you, but because they were so different from you, because there was a mystery, there were frustrating parts about that person, but the engaging parts, the tease, the uncertainty kept drawing you back in. And now for me and for many people, I'm sure that worked out in a not so great way. We eventually realize, or hopefully we eventually realize that person is not right for me and I need someone who is going to help provide my emotional needs or, or help provide what I need as a human being first and foremost. Now that's how it turns out in this film, but just, but, but I, I, I'm, I'm spinning my wheels a little bit here, but just based on that idea of meeting someone in kind of where you are so clearly more into them at first than they are into you. And perhaps it's for reasons which are not entirely healthy, um, but also makes sense because Evan is coming at this in the beginning from not an entirely healthy place. Yes, he is in Italy so that he can escape um, or he can get away to kind of repair himself. But at that moment of meeting her in, in, in this first few times, he is not healed yet. He is not in a healthy place. So that was an interesting kind of dynamic when they first met. But getting back to the generalizations, um, it's funny in retrospect that this old guy that Evan was working for kept talking about how Italian women are the best women in the world, because in retrospect, you realize Louise is an Italian woman. She was born there. Her family was uh, was killed in the volcano explosion of Pompeii, once again, that she survived. Um, but also because of what she's gone through in life, how she's traveled the world, how she's transformed 
become literally a new person so many times, she is also more than an Italian woman. So she is the stereotype, and she is also not the stereotype. It's actually quite fascinating. Um, and even the the two guys that Evan meets when he first comes to Italy, um, even they are kind of quintessential soccer hooligan characters. You know, just uh, shit-talking. Uh, I know one is a one's a Brit, and the, the Brit says the other guy is Welsh, though I believe he, he denies that. But, you know, these British soccer hooligans who just love to drink and have a good time, and shit-talk other people, and, like, they're they're just kind of living for the visceral moment. Even those characters who we spend the most time with outside of Evan and Louise are just kind of quintessential, stereotypical cal- uh, characters. And was it calendars? Um, and that, once again, accentuates or, 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 or gets back to this idea of the worldview of our two leads of just generalizing people and stereotyping people. Um... And that's fascinating. And even the B-roll, the B-roll even accentuates uh, the introspection by, by, I can't read the word that I wrote here. I can't even read my own handwriting. Um, by, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but so the B-roll accentuates the introspection of these characters. Um, if we're playing along, I believe it's five shots you had to have taken by this point. Uh, by cluing us into um, the characters' minds uh, and their moods and the atmosphere of the setting. Um... One thing that I that I loved about the cinematography, which I know Moorhead uh, did himself in in this, was how evocative it is of of different things at the same time, and and I think the score also helps work with that. Um, there's a lot of drone shots in this film, um, which I know based on the the IMDb trivia was sort of a last minute addition because they had planned out all the shots and they realized that a guy had a had a drone, so they started using and incorporating that. Um, the drone shots kind of accentuate the magnitude and the majesty of the southern Italy town, um, as does a lot of the cinematography, especially when we're um, traveling or there's a couple shots when Evan is um, talking with the farmer and we just kind of see the vast scope of the country and the hillside, basically. There's a, a majesty and a beauty about it, which is... Once again, from Evan's perspective, exactly what we would expect to see of someone who is experiencing this place for the very first time. But there's also something ominous, and there's a mystery and and almost a dread to it, because some of those shots are these old architectural masses and and, and kind of this that steadfastness and who knows what they have weathered and what they have survived, what history has transpired underneath their door frames in the, within their walls, and also of the crashing waves in the ocean and of this, at some points, peaceful force, this peaceful natural force, but also unpredictable and destructive force at the same time. And it all exists together within this town, this village, and within this story and within these two characters. And then also a lot of the wildlife footage, which is uh, kind of foreshadowing in, in many ways. Um, you know, we, we, have a, we have a close-up of a spider um, wrapping up a fly which is caught in its web, or a snake uh, traveling through the skull of a dead lamb, or a, you know a centipede kind of crawling along on the log. It's this, it's this also idea of wildlife and of dread and of fear 
basically that kind of lurks around the corners or in the unexplored spots of the city. So you have the beauty and you have the dread kind of coexisting at the same time. And it is once again very evocative of the moods and the, the, the feelings of our characters, especially when it comes to Evan and, and living in a new, an entirely new country, basically. Um, one element, too, that I found super fascinating about this was the reveal of Louise's condition, specifically how it came relatively early in the film, or at least relatively early in their relationship. This was not a mystery that had to be solved. It was something that Benson and Moore had present to us. So, and I could see how there was a temptation if Benson had written a script and someone else had directed it. I could see how there would be the temptation to delay that payoff, basically, because Louise having two different color eyelids is something which is, or, or which could be seen as a, uh, a payoff to the hints that the museum and the art that we've been seeing have been laying for us. You know, um, the, the, the film is not sneaky about it in the sense of it makes those paintings very apparent to us. And so there is, a, or I could see how for another filmmaker, the, te the temptation could be, let me lay these clues out for you. And then at the end of Act 2, maybe, we'll reveal that Louise is this monster. That Louise has been the one who uh, is depicted in these paintings. Um, we'll reveal that... Um, if there were external consequences, once again, the mythology of this local legend of this creature that comes in the night and every 20 years, bop, 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 if that stuff was there, then it becomes more of a temptation to make it a second act reveal, basically kind of a, a Shyamalan twist, if you will. But that's not what Benson and Moore had do. Instead, they reveal to you, once again, pretty early on in the relationship between Evan and Louise, that she is this monster, that she has this condition in which her skin changes, she turns into different monsters, she needs medication to um, kind of regulate it, and that she has to consume living flesh for some reason. The details don't get fleshed out until the end, but the, the reveal of her being who and or what she is comes relatively early, and that's a really interesting decision in my opinion, because I'm reminded of um, this quote or the story that um, Hitchcock has about, you know, the, the difference between suspense and surprise, and basically this idea of, um, let's say there are there are, are uh, two people sitting at a table, and they, you know they're just having a conversation, then all of a sudden there's an explosion, and we have 15 seconds. Uh, we have we have surprise basically, but if we have those same people sitting at the table conversing, and then we see that there's a bomb underneath the table that's going to go off in 15 minutes. We have the difference between suspense and surprise. He says, um, in the first case, we have given the public 15 seconds of surprise at the moment of the explosion. In the second, we have provided them with 15 minutes of suspense. The conclusion is that whenever possible, the public must be informed, except when the surprise is a twist, that is, when the unexpected ending is, in itself, the highlight of the story. And so, by introducing Louise's condition to us early, we don't have surprise, we have suspense. And we have, once again, us thinking about and exploring this idea of 
how are these characters going to respond to each other, going to act, and we're just always kind of on the edge of our seat wondering what the next interaction is going to look like and how these two people who seem so vulnerable and don't really seem to be that willing to open up to each other, how that's going to change and what potential repercussions that's going to have to them individually. Um, it, it provides suspense and tension and allows us to explore their actions and feelings instead of reactions and consequences. So it's... You know, so Evan certainly does express his horror eventually, um, but that's, but we can we can instead kind of see does that track with his character's path basically, and then we have uh, Louise pushing back or trying to explain things to him to try and justify it for him, and then we can decide does that track with how this has been, um, you know. Uh, how does that track with her character arc, basically, and how she has made sense to us as a character? So instead of the reveal at the end of Act 2 that she's a monster, and then Evan bails, and then we have this moment of will they, won't they, instead it's more us guessing and and wondering what is going to happen between these two people when this imminently does come out. It's the difference between suspense and surprise, and I found it a really effective um, path that they chose to take with this instead of um, just kind of making a surprise twist at the end. Um, but speaking of the end, in the end, I have to admit, and, and I have to preface this by saying, this is not a, a fault of the film. This is my own personal preference. Um, I would have preferred if they did not stay together. Um, this is kind of my only nitpick with the screenplay in the sense of it, it sort of tries to have its cake and eat it too where Louise confesses to Evan that it's not her choice to use her adult cells and give up or, or forsake this cycle of continuously reproducing and um, you know this cycle of immortality basically it's not her choice she doesn't just choose I'm going to be a human until I die, or I'm going to continue this cycle of, of, of uh, primordial mythological creatures and perpetuate my own life for generations upon generations. She says it all has something to do with um, oxytocin, which is the chemical um, that people generate or is perhaps generated within people to... to, to emulate that feeling or, or to generate that feeling once again whichever comes first in the process uh of falling in love and of um motherly um instincts basically and so by that feels like a little bit of a cop-out to me in the sense of it, it sort of takes the agency away from her and kind of makes it a flip of the coin of fate as to whether she is going to continue um, this cycle or is going to end the cycle and stay with Evan until they both kind of wither away and, and die of mortality. Um, and now maybe that plays into the Louise character and her being a student of science in the sense of 
the randomness of genetics and DNA and of the world or universe or God creating things, if you will, I could see that argument that probably does play into that, but I I don't know, it also kind of seems to um, deplete the what's at stake a bit, or at least take away both of their accountability to a certain degree, um, which in a way maybe that I should prefer that because what I'm about to say is my, my, my complaint is that I don't think they should have been together, but at the same time, um, she, on the surface, does not choose to be with him. Her physiology or her biology chooses that. So, um, but, uh, but of course, I don't know. But then she explains that, um, it's the oxytocin, and the oxytocin is only generated if you are in love with someone. So, in a way, she does, if not consciously choose, then subconsciously choose. But anyway, uh, but basically. Louise was by far, to me, the more fascinating character in this film. And what made her fascinating was how she had lived for 2,000 years with this condition, had made a life, had made routine, had set up basically a worldwide network of identities to perpetuate her existence. And she gives that all up to be with a man. A man who... No, um no discredit uh, in, in any way to um, Lou Taylor Pucci, who plays the lead Evan. Um, he's a very good actor. He does a very good job with this. I just think as the characters of writ- as the as the characters are written, Louise is a lot more interesting to me than Evan. And so the film is basically saying she is choosing to be less interesting to be with this man. What I would have preferred, and once again, I'm not saying this is a bad part of the film, this is just my preference as to how I would have liked to have seen this series go, series, movie, is the journey being more important than the destination. This idea that the finiteness of anything... Before she even changes, Evan is trying to explain to her the benefits of having a finite life. So if there's that thread of the finiteness of things, don't make them less special. In fact, make them more special. And just the idea of if everything is finite, then we don't hang on to anything. Then what is important is what we are doing with things. Um, Now... I would have loved to have seen that idea of the journey being more important than the destination playing out in the sense of their destination is just not each other Um, for this kind of badass, incredibly interesting woman to ultimately then just be like, yep, this is my destination with this man who I've known for a week. I, it doesn't feel really satisfying to me. Their relationship, of course, does feel quite beautiful and quite touching. But I also like the idea better of both of their lives just being changed because of this one encounter that came about at a very special, seemingly random, but by no less, but by no means less special moment in both of their lives. And now, well, how does that work, you might ask? Because she explains that when she becomes a new person, she becomes an entirely new person. She won't even remember him. 
hey, you know, evolution is a thing. Maybe she does generate into a new person, doesn't seem to recognize him, and then, you know, we have Evan kind of, you know, accepting the fact that this happened because he was warned, but he still went all out for it and finds it to be worth it. And then maybe we have a, you know, a shot or something 15 years later in which it's just Louise and she comes across something. Maybe it's she finds the book that he signed for her. Maybe it's a picture um, that she discovers somewhere, which we see maybe a glint in her eye or on her face of recognition and so even though then we get the impression that even though biologically she kept going through that cycle things have changed and evolution is possible because as someone who is a student of science she would be fully embracing that idea that 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 species evolve and so maybe she does start to evolve and so since it's 15 years later they haven't ended up together but they have been in a situation where both of their lives have been changed for the better because of this seemingly random thing for one person in a finite existence and for one person in an infinite existence that lands better for me but i also don't want to say that that means this film didn't work for me because it is still quite a beautiful exploration of how two people who are kind of broken in their own ways eventually come to the point of a desire and a willingness to be more vulnerable with someone else no matter what kind of messiness that entails. Um, for Louise, it was the messiness of like, this is who I am, this is the condition that you could potentially be living with, and for Evan, it was the, the possibility of, I could lose this person. And now think about that. Think about this guy who lost what the only person that he had left for him in his life. And now that made him kind of broken and and, and so closed off how wonderful of an arc it becomes if then his journey at the end is he lost someone again but after realizing and embracing how much better his life was while that person was in his life i think it flips the narrative on loss and finiteness being damaging but that's just my opinion. These guys made the film, and they made quite a beautiful, effective film at that. So it is available for free if you have a subscription to Shudder and want to watch it again or for the first time, though as I've said countless times on this podcast, if you have not seen it, I don't know why you are listening to this episode where I spoiled the whole thing for you. If you want to rent it or purchase it, there's a whole slew of, uh, of avenues out there for that, um, including Amazon, YouTube, uh, Google Play, um, Vudu, uh, the Microsoft Store, iTunes, Fandango Now, um, and, well, I wrote the Microsoft Store uh, twice. But, um, yeah, that's so that's it for um, this episode. That's it for spring. Um, as always, it is easy to get in touch with me if you have any questions or comments or disagreements or agreements. Uh, you can email me at youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com. You can tweet at me at Nolan Fixes Teeth. 
Um, you can catch up on back episodes and uh, comments at battleshipretention.com if you go to the podcast drop-down menu and find I Do Movies Badly, or um, subscribe to my feed on iTunes or Podbean by going to idomoviesbadly.podbean.com. That does it for this week. Um, be sure to um, tune in next week where I will be covering um, Resolution and where hopefully I will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.